Welcome to the Rename Podcast. I'm, as always, Jordan. This week with me, we have Chris. Hello. Alex. Hello. Sam. Hello. And, heaven forfend, Rachel. Hey. This week on the show, we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of pop culture, leading up to our Who Won the Week. We're going to talk, uh, play a little Leonard Maltin's movie game. We're going to talk about the new Matthew Perry sitcom, Go On. We're going to start off Ruby Names Movie Club by talking about insomnia. And we're finally going to deal with Rachel's pop culture dare and discuss Fifty Shades of Grey. So stick with us on the show, and we'll start off with some news roundup. Uh, how's everyone doing this week, first of all? Pretty good, pretty good. It's been pretty tired, but you know. All right, that was the most scintillating piece of podcasting we've yet produced here, so good to know Alex is tired. I, uh, and, I went on um, a ghost tour last night. Whoa. Of, was it that's spooky? Cool. It was kind of spooky, actually, yeah. Oh. We didn't Where'd really see go? anything, but it was still spooky. Uh, over in Frederick, Maryland, there was like a walking ghost tour through their... Uh, oh. Isn't that like an October yeah. thing? No, apparently it's an all-year-round thing. Their, uh, best, their best time is the summer, apparently. Strangely enough, I guess that's when the ghosts come out. You know, Chris, you know why you didn't see any ghosts? Uh, no, Sam. Why didn't I see it's any ghosts? Because they don't exist. And you <laughs> wasted your I money. Don't follow that, no. What was the scariest thing you saw, Chris? Uh, Mike Marshall. Ooh, oh, that's always the right answer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, um, so one of the biggest stories this week, uh, early this week, was Elton John's tirade against Madonna, calling her a fairground stripper, amongst other awful things. Uh, anyone, what do you guys think about that? I think it's great. I think any disparaging words from someone who's of near status of Madonna is a good thing. Because I think she needs to be knocked down a peg. Yeah, I think Fair she's enough. probably, she's, she's, I mean, her music now just is not even good. Like, it's just awful, and she's trying to be a, like, Lady Gaga-level spectacle that's just driving me nuts. Did anybody see the, like, message in her, um, the video of her Moscow concert where she, like, does the shout-out to gay people because Moscow has these weird gag rules for talking about gay people in public and there's a moment where she's like talking about um all of the people on the stage behind her and she eventually gets to the point that it's like everybody is like of different races colors and creeds but at first she's like talking about gay people and then she turns to all of her dancers behind her and she's like everyone on this stage and it really seems like she's about to say everyone on this stage is a homosexual and we're going to talk about that surprising at all which still probably applies really but she's a little much for me Yeah, I don't so much follow the career of Madonna as I do follow the antics of Elton John because I'm a big <laughs> Elton fan. Um, so I can't say that I've listened to any music Madonna's made since she did the Die Another Day theme song um, because I do follow the career of one James Bond. But I love Elton, and he made some points about Madonna sort of abandoning pop music to try to be experimental and getting shitty. And while I don't know if she got shitty because of that, I do know that she's sort of walked away from pop music for a while now. Um, whereas Elton's been making pretty much the same kind of music, if not the same quality for his whole career. Yeah, but uh, when was the last time Elton, like, released something? I remember he had that album with, you know, the Justin Timberlake video, and that's all I can remember the last thing he did, and that was, like, what, ten years ago? He did, 
what Peachtree Road, I think, was was six years ago. Um, when was the Captain and the Kid? He had, he's had two albums at least in the last decade. Um, so and plus he's been doing a phenomenal Vegas show, which everybody should see at some point. Is he still doing that? Um, I think it's a new version of it now, but yeah, he's he's still there when Celine's not there. Oh well, let's all hope Celine's never there. Because they can't be there at the same time, or the world will explode. I uh, I saw Elton's Red Piano in Vegas when I was in high school, and it was amazing. And it had far more breasts than you would expect for a show from Elton John. <laughs> uh, so I think we've we've sort of covered the the Elton Madonna Gate bit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Joss Whedon, who had a big week. Uh, signing on to write and direct Avengers 2 and to develop the new Marvel TV show that will hopefully be on ABC in the near future. Well, I think this is good but unsurprising news. I mean, at least in terms of the next Avengers movie because, you know, when your movie makes, like, records amount of money, you know, you've got a good shot at, uh, you know, getting that job back again. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is I think it's great that he's, like, supervising the development of this Marvel TV show. But does anybody feel like it doesn't matter unless he's like, you know, a writer or a showrunner? Because well, I, this is like seeing like the presents credit on like a movie. It's like Guillermo del Toro presents. It doesn't really mean anything, you know. Well, depending on how much influence he has, we could. I mean, he we could see. I think the real influence there could be him bringing in people who he's worked with in the past. I think what the positive that could come out of this is, is seeing some Whedon alums being placed on this show in terms of the writing staff and the producing staff. Get a Tim Minear writing on there or a Jane Espenson, Marty Noxon, any of those people, if they were on the writing staff, that would, that would show great Whedon influence to me. And all of them, I think all of them write on the same caliber as Whedon and they all know how to write Whedon style dialogue very well. Absolutely. I'm more Um, excited for the TV show than Avengers 2 at this point. I mean, I think it depends what direction the TV show goes in. I think, I, Chris, I think you and I have talked many, many times about how we think Marvel and DC should be taking more advantage of potential yeah. live-action television shows, and I'm glad to hear Marvel's doing it. I, I mean, I don't know if S.H.I.E.L.D. would be my first pick for them to do a show, and I mean, it's not announced that, that is what they're doing yet. Well, but... actually, there's there's been a rumor that's uh, leaked out in the last day or so. It's uh, The going theory at the moment is that it will be a show featuring S.H.I.E.L.D., but centering around the character of Jessica Drew, who is a oh, Spider-Woman. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well that... as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or as Spider-Woman. We're not really right, sure. Right, that, that could be a like an alias-type show, which uh, I could see working out well. Do you think, like, as someone who... I mean, I really like the Avengers, but I'm also not, like, a Marvel Universe junkie. Do you think there's going to be backlash if there's, like, you know, a Marvel show that's really just, you know alias it doesn't have any of the marvel characters and do you think that because it's television you're going to have a much more limited budget you know it's not going to be up to that standard that people have seen in the theaters do you think that's a problem yeah i do think that's going to be an issue with especially if you're tackling something like shield which is so closely been tied to the avengers universe right now i think that problem is going to start going to become okay we can try and not mention these characters as much as possible but the avengers are such a big part of the marvel movie universe in a sense that shield basically their entire job was just to kind of like chauffeur them around so now if we're going to have like a show about shield i think it's going to be a problem if we can't show any avengers but at the same time there really hasn't been too many missteps with the marvel movie universe so far so 
I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think that if they want to do a S.H.I.E.L.D. show, I think they could pull it off. Well, my question is this. Uh, it is set in the Marvel movie universe, is the big pitch they keep throwing out there. My question is, if it's set at S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel movie universe, do you think we get team-up episodes where they make the movie stars come and be Captain America <laughs> and Thor on the yeah, TV show right. for a week uh, in the run-up to Avengers 2 coming out? Because that doesn't seem very likely to me. No. But no. God, no. Seems like a season finale kind of thing. I think they could pull it off, though. I'd, I'd love to see Hiddleston swing a hammer on my television. Um I said Hiddleston, I meant Hemsworth, but yeah. I'd see Hiddleston swing a hammer too. I mean, I'd with, like to with see like a both TV of budget. them swinging hammers in my apartment. <laughs> I think oh, maybe it, with the TV budget, they could possibly, I think they could like just blow a lot of money on bringing Renner in, maybe for like a season finale or something. But anybody you say else, TV I think budget, that's really but it. Marvel has so much money, and then Disney owns them, and they have so much money. I mean, they can throw money around when they want to if they feel it's necessary, and they'll get their money back, which I think this TV show could do for them. If they market it right, they could just they could potentially justify it. I mean, like as long as they just keep in every breath they take, like from the creators of Avengers, from Avengers, like continuing the story of Avengers. Like if they say Avengers every five minutes, this potentially could turn into a cash cow for them. Yeah, if and my thing Avengers? is, if they can get Robert Downey Jr. to walk in and do five minutes in the pilot and be like, "I'm Tony Stark. Welcome to Shield, Jessica Drew." And something like that, uh, then people well, will watch that episode of TV. Yeah, but here's the thing: this reminds me of like Birds of Prey. I mean, if you have characters who just like mention Batman for you know an, a half hour every week, it doesn't make it like a good show. I think people want to see these characters, and if Joss Whedon makes the, it a good show. But we don't know how much Joss Whedon is really going to be involved in this. And if Joss Whedon is a show running, or if Joss Whedon brings in these people that you know, we think he might bring in, then yeah, it could be a quality show regardless of whether, you know, Chris Hemsworth or Robert Downey Jr. show up. But the problem is these characters that you guys have mentioned, I haven't really heard of. And I, I consider myself more of like a normal lay person in terms of comic books. So if they're going to try to like, you know, reach me, who's like kind of the normal, not super hardcore Marvel person, you know, it's going to have to be like really high quality. It, so I'm not sure exactly what they're going to, what they're going to do. So I can't really say, um, well, let me ask you this, Sam, if it's, if it is the Joss Whedon presents scenario, if no one from Whedon's stable of awesome writers is writing the show, if it's basically just nominally Joss Whedon and it's, uh, uh, shield set Marvel or Marvel universe set, set, set shield show. That's hard to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are you going to watch the pilot? Are you, are you going to give it a chance or is that just something you'd skip out on entirely? Um, yeah, I'd probably watch the pilot. Um, just because it's something that like I would check out, you know, even if it wasn't associated with Marvel, if it's just kind of like this, I assume big budget action show, that's probably going to be talked about a lot. Now that's not to say that it's going to be good, you know, no, that's, that's the not. real, that's the real question. Um, you know, I'll check it out regardless, uh, whether I keep watching and it's quality, you know, who knows? Sure. I hope so. I hope it's good. If it's, you know, if it's, if it's about minor characters, that I don't really know about from the Marvel Universe, but it's Joss Whedon or Joss Whedon people or even just Joss Whedon quality, then yeah, I'll stick around and it'll be great. Joss Whedon doesn't seem like the type of guy that'll just throw his name on something kind of like Steven Spielberg does. He's going to have his name on it and make sure that his name is quality controlled. Well, I, I think you're right, Alex, and I think that there's two things that sort of lend in favor of that. 
the one thing is, you know, he fought to get Thanos in, in the Avengers end credits thing. He fought to make him the next Avengers villain. So it makes me think he wanted to do Avengers 2 even before he knew that he was going to make, you know, ass tons of money doing it. And he's also a guy who's been very open about the fact that he wants to do his own thing again. He wants to write his own movies with his own characters. He probably wants to come back and do his own TV show, I hope anyway. Uh, and so the fact that he's doing Avengers 2 and doing this TV show makes me think there are things he wants to do. Because he made enough money for Marvel off of this that he is a marketable figure in Hollywood now. He can do whatever he wants pretty much at this point. At least, you know, for his next project. Well, so to choose to do these things makes me think he wants to do something with it. His them. next project's already done filming, so... Well, yeah. I mean, his next one that he works on. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the Much Ado About Nothing is done filming and it should be out sometime this fall, I think. I can't wait. I will be... First in line, Much Ado is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. It's Joss Whedon and a bunch of Whedon people I love. I will be there. Absolutely. Do you think this pigeonholes him into just doing Marvel things for the next however long? No. Or do you think he'll get to no. keep doing Much Ado About Nothing and other things like that? Well, Avengers 2 is coming out in 2015. So he's probably got a good you know year, year and a half of pre-production-y things that he can do other things during. You know, I'm sure he's writing the movie, but he can also direct something else while he's writing that. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he's <clears throat> given you know another shot at a, a major network uh, to do oh, his yeah. own TV show at some point. Um, I would I'm, I would be surprised if he went back to TV before doing Avengers two, just because that's going to take up a lot of his time for over a, what would be a season of a TV show. And he's mm-hmm. pretty hands on with his TV shows, so I definitely <clears throat> think he would put himself in a situation where he'd be taken off to focus on Avengers, especially since there's just so many moving parts to it. I think. I don't think we're going to see him return to television until after Avengers 2. But I'd like to see him return at that point, and, and hopefully he would get a show that people wouldn't cancel in the first season or two, and they would actually give us a real chance to. <laughs> um, so other big stories this week. We're looking at a huge week for H. John Benjamin with the announcement of the animation crossover between Archer Season 4 and Bob's Burgers. I think that's going to be a strange and wonderful thing. What do you guys think about that? making me actually want to watch Bob's Burgers. <clears throat> Bob's Burgers is really good, and uh, the first season is on uh, Netflix Watch Instantly, and I really enjoyed it. I, I definitely didn't watch it when it was first aired, um, but I heard enough good things to want to check it out. So, And I, you know, I, I do watch and love Archer already, so this is definitely good news, and they're very different shows, but they're you know both very, very entertaining. So how is this crossover going to work? Is Archer going to walk in on Bob's Burgers, or is it the other way? Or? Yeah, the, the rumor is that Archer, it's going to be sort of a born Identity type of plot where Archer loses his memory and starts working at Bob's Burgers. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, suppose I'm, I'm sure we'll get his memory back and hijinks will ensue. Yeah, but which show is this all going to appear on? Is this all going to be Archer. on Archer? Or is it going to, this is going to be on it's Archer. Going to be on Archer. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. How are the Bob's Burgers character designs going to fit in with Archer? They're so different. The, uh, uh, again, go ahead, Chris. I, I, I think I read that they were going to just try and keep him the body types as close as possible, but put him in the Archer animation style. Oh. Yeah, the focus is going to be on the Archer animation style, so all the backgrounds and everything will be Archer style, but the Bob's Burgers characters are going to look as much like the Bob's Burgers characters as possible. I think it'd be so cool round. if they. I think it'd be cool if they kept both of their animation styles and kind of just did like this mixed animation thing. Probably a little bit too difficult. And maybe not so much in FX's budget. But yeah, I think it might fun. also be jarring. Oh, I think it'd be fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love uh, John Benjamin, and I love 
both both shows have excellent casts. So I'm excited about that. I did not know yeah, that until if, just today, <laughs> until you guys told me. If Jessica Walters can yell at Eugene Merman for even a second, my life will be complete. <laughs> and if Eugene Merman could yell back at her. <laughs> Lots of Eugene Merman non sequiturs on Bob's Burgers. My, my favorite I, part of this story is that apparently Adam Reed is just a fan of Bob's Burgers. Like, apparently he was just a fan of the show, and that's the genesis for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm glad it's working out. I watched the very early episodes of Bob's Burgers and I really liked it. And I I fell off the bandwagon more due to time concerns. Like I just I couldn't fit the show into my schedule. But I thought it was a really good show, and this is giving me impetus to maybe jump back on the bandwagon and sort of catch up before the crossover. Which is, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Rachel, do you have any opinion of this? Do you watch either show? I watch neither show. I've been told that I should watch Archer. I believe that I watched, like, the first couple episodes of Bob's Burgers and just was not into it. I'm not not super into that kind of animation, really. But, I mean, it's Archer is supposed to be really smart, right? So maybe I'll watch that. It's very smart, and you would love it because it has a sense of humor that you and I tend to have toward each other, I think. So maybe I'll pick that up. I'm about to finish Cheers, so maybe I'll pick up Archer next. Very similar shows, Cheers and Archer. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much exactly sequels, to be honest with you. (laughs) Actually, all of Archer takes place in the Cheers bar. Oh, that's great. Everybody knows your name. No. Uh, Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, another one of the big stories this week. We've been giving a lot of love to, so we'll just sort of touch on it, I think. Uh, Arrested Development has actually started production, if you believe all the photos were that are leaking out. Uh, so that new season is rolling. Um, and like I said, we talked about this last week, but does anyone have anything new they want to throw out there about it? Did everybody see this... the pictures of Michael Cena on a Segway? Michael Sarah? That's what I mean. I yes. Did not. This it was is awesome. Just a... This is just a day full of us messing up actor names. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I did. See Michael Cena on a Segway, then Michael Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, see the Segway picture, and it excites me in ways that I don't want to talk about on the podcast. I think it's going to be. How great. old is he now? Fifty. <laughs> yes. Because he looks like he's twelve. He's fifty. And it's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. He has three kids. <laughs> So yeah, we kind of know the deal about that. We're all excited, and uh, hooray for Arrested Development. Yeah, And we'll probably be co- covering this whenever there's another picture, because we're geeks, and <laughs> we whenever, it comes out, whenever it comes out, someone's like, hey, we should talk about that this week. And I'm like, all right, fine, we'll talk about it. Do we need to talk so, about every picture? It's just like Jason Bateman <laughs> like standing at a desk. <laughs> Holy crap, Jason Bateman's at a desk! What does this mean for the plot? Jason, maybe we should, um, maybe we should put this to bed like, until it like, actually comes out, or the television... Season on. Is, let's it's say be... let's say we'll talk about it again when there's actual news, not just okay. pictures and like, hey, we started filming something. Right. So if we hear anything, we'll talk about it again. Until then, let's put it to bed for a while. Okay. Uh, the last big story this week has been sort of the looming story over the entire life of this podcast so far, which is the Olympics. The closing ceremonies are tonight. We've seen some great feats of athleticism over the last few weeks, and you know other pop culturey things. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so I figure by the time this podcast comes out, the uh, closing ceremonies uh, will have already happened. So I'm going to predict yes. that there is catastrophe and the Spice Girls like all fell off the stage. How dare you, Sam? It's hilarious. 
It was hilarious. Rest in peace, Spice Girls. I can't Rest believe that happened. Rest in peace, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they fell into the Olympic torch. You know, oh. it's always a shame to see a baby Spice cut down before it has a chance to be an adult Spice. <laughs> <laughs> I like how she's baby because she has, what, blonde hair? And pigtails. She was the youngest. She Babies was don't have pigtails. Younger. What, she was like, what, she was 21 while the others were like 23? <laughs> Something like that. She was a baby. And the other one was made of ginger. Because she was yeah. a redhead. And Scary Spice was actually a serial killer. She was scary. Because of all the murder. And uh, Posh is disgusting. Yeah, I think that's Posh is actually slang for disgusting in England, if I'm correct. I think that's the case. And sporty. What's weird? I want to say I forget about sporty. I always forget about sporty. I cannot believe you people know all the Spice Girls names. (laughs) The problem with sporty is her look was, it was like Adidas tracksuits, which is so like 90s. I wonder what they're going to put her in now. Is she going to be wearing like Under Armour? I'd like it if she was, I'd like if they were all wearing their exact 90s outfits without a single change. I think that would be wonderful. Except they're like 15 years older. If if that... Ginger would, would wear, like, the Union Jack dresses, right? That was her thing? Yeah, that was her thing. Well, I think she was my favorite Sporty back when I was, like, like, seven years old. Ironically, Sporty is the one who actually had a career. She's, like, continued to produce music all the time. Uh, the I had no idea. It's not necessarily a career. Well, she's, well, a career, she's pretty successful in a, a certain circuit. She does a lot of, like, house and techno music. Oh, so is this one of those things like Robbie Williams where like English people know what the hell's going on, but yeah. we're just like, oh, that's a thing? Well, yeah, no, she, <laughs> she, she's, she's still releasing music, yeah. I think okay. she's the only one who still does. I, I like that Sam has uh, uh, made an analogy to Robbie Williams as if none of us know who or what that is. But, I mean, Robbie Williams is like a super, like he is He's like a way bigger Michael deal Jackson in England, right. there, And he is nothing here. I have some Robbie Williams songs on my iPod. That's because you're he's a sort weird of, Anglophile. He's sort of weird. like a, a sub-Michael Buble here, and it, like the opposite yeah, that of is, that that's, on the other side of the Sub-Michael Buble is bottom of the barrel. He's like he's like there, Michael Buble, and here he's like a, a sub-Michael Buble. I think which he's is, more than Michael Buble over there. I think he's much yeah, more popular. I guess, yeah, he does do more original music, whereas Buble, Buble has like one song every once in a while, and it's like, here's some more Frank Sinatra, guys. <laughs> If I had a TARDIS, I would go back in time and and kill Frank Sinatra just so Michael Bublé couldn't have a career. Sam, that's maybe the most upsetting thing you've ever said to me. I am not a huge Bublé fan, but I love Frank Sinatra. And if you killed him, we wouldn't have problems. Although, if you took me time traveling and space traveling like Doctor Who does, then we could probably get over it. You'd make a great oh, companion, Jordan. Speaking of uh, Doctor Who and Marvel... The other big news was that Chris Eccleston was cast in the next Thor movie. Who is he I'm playing? Excited. He's playing like a like a black elf or something. It's something Chris would know about. A black elf, but he's not black. Well, they'll paint him black. Blackface elf. Chris, oh, have you heard okay about this? That's okay in his fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard Racism about is fine in a fantasy scenario. <laughs> yeah, so number nine is going to be in Thor 2. Which he just wears like giant gloves and paint in his blackface and does like a minstrel show during the movie. <laughs> and we all just sit there, mouths agape, and Thor is like, I'm going to hit you with my hammer now. I didn't Hold know you on, read I'm my gonna... fan script. <laughs> I'm going to check it out and see what character he's playing on the Googles. All right, Google that. And while 
I, I liked Eccleston. I am uh, I am actually watching Doctor Who right now for the listeners of the podcast. Um, Good for you. Good and for I'm you. I'm diving into the Tenant series. I've seen series two. About to start watching series three. Uh, actually, I've watched the first two episodes of series three. I I'm still not sure I like Tenant better than Eccleston. To be honest with you, uh, I was a huge fan of him. I agree with that. That's I how, I, I'm so far. That's the reaction with every Doctor. As soon as he changes, you're like, I don't like this Doctor. But then you warm up to him, and he's the best Doctor ever. And then he changes again, and you're like, I don't like this Doctor. But then you warm up to him, and he's the best Doctor ever. Sam Sam said the exact same thing to me. He said he hated he hated Tenant when he took over for Eccleston, but then he warmed to him. I haven't warmed to Tenant yet, and that's not. I like Tenant a lot, um, but I haven't I haven't warmed to him. As as I warmed to Eccleston by the end of Eccleston's first season. Don't worry. I'm, by the time really by the time like you Eccleston. get to Matt Smith, you'll hate Matt Smith, and then you'll get over it like you do everybody else. Because <laughs> Matt Smith kinda, is so good. They're they're all good. They're all good in their own way. Um, and I found out he's playing the ruler of the Dark Elves of Svartalflod. Blah blah. Oh yeah. I don't. That, I can't. That means nothing really in terms of. It's already like that an means established nothing. character. Well, you know what? It's Chris Eccleston, and he's going to be in a movie. So, oh, so is Idris Elba coming back? I hope. Who? Idris Elba. Oh, I, I don't know. I'd love to. I mean, he plays a major movie. character, so I assume he is. But I wish I, I wish Idris is. Elba would play like the Doctor. I think that'd be cool. That would be badass. That'd be awesome. And better than Luther, I'm sure. Um, okay, anyway. I think we're I think we're about ready to wrap up talking about the week slash <laughs> Doctor Who. So we all agree <laughs> that Doctor Who won the week, right? Guys, <laughs> so we will be tabulating in our very complicated tabulation system who won the week, and we will be announcing that as well as the official name of the who won the week trophy that we don't actually have or ever give out, uh, which actually has a name now. So stick around, if only to hear what we're going to call this thing from here to perpetuity. Um, but now I'm going to turn things over to Alex, and we're going to play a little game. We are going to play the Leonard Malton game. And credit where credit is due, this is from Doug Benson in his Doug Loves Movies podcast, which is a good podcast, and I recommend you listen to it. So please don't get mad at us, Doug. You're I'm sure he's this. a listener. <laughs> we have he's a, a dedicated listener. He, he writes me long emails every week about anything. how much he loves the podcast. <laughs> All right. So let's start out the game with a category called Horse's Ass, which is a movie that involve, heavily involves a horse or a donkey. And this movie is from 2004. It has three and a half stars from Leonard Malton. And clues from the review go as such. He gives away a lot of the story. And then there are doubts about the inspiration for this quote-unquote true story. But there's no question about its entertainment value. And a freebie, Malcolm McDowell appears unbilled. And there Mm. are... 12 names. Oh, so, I think yeah. my favorite part of this game so far is having to listen to Leonard Malton's film criticism. My favorite part is you interrupting me. Ooh. Oh, sweaters <laughs> points now? All right. Jordan. Jordan, out of 12 names, how many do you need to name this movie? Zero. Zero names. Chris? Uh, I might need one name. I'm going to say one. Oh, wait, I can't say one, right? You cannot say one. You have to go z- name it or lower uh, all right, Jordan, name that movie. Seabiscuit. Wrong. Chris Damn. Get, Chris gets the Ooh. point. The movie Huzzah. is Hidalgo. I was thinking Hidalgo, too. Son of oh, a bitch. Shit. That is tough. I was going to say Seabiscuit, too. I was going to go negative one, Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn. I was torn between Seabiscuit and Hidalgo, and I figured, well, Seabiscuit's the bigger movie, so. All right. 
Well, now I have to sit in the punishment corner. Wow, Jordan is really eating shit so far this entire podcast. Doesn't everyone else agree? <laughs> Indeed. Well, this podcast is no different than the rest of Jordan's life, so it's fine. I agree. The next round... <laughs> Jordan's crying. <laughs> the category is Finch, Lynch, and Crone, or Director's David, which are the movies of David Lynch, David Fincher, or David Cronenberg. And this oh movie from 1986 got two stars. It's terminally weird. Um, <laughs> I wonder who the director could be. Too audacious to be easily dismissed, but too strange to be easily enjoyed. Yet this was one of the most critically praised movies of 1986. The director's use of widescreen will suffer on TV. And the director wrote it. Okay. And it has eight names. So, Rachel, how many names do you need to name? Negative one. Sam, you going to go uh, negative two? <sighs> um, yeah, I'll go negative two. Fuck you. All right, back to Jordan. Negative three or name it. Wait, negative three or name it? I, I thought I had other or, options or, here. Or say name uh, it to Sam. I'm going to go with Sam. name it because I might as well or keep eating shit, right? Or, hey, hey, hey. Or say name it to Sam so that oh, Sam can say name it to Sam. You have to challenge me. Or you can go negative Wait, three. Should I, should I try to win? Is that a thing I can do right now and try to get my good name back? Well, it, I would if have you to can get name it this movie and get okay, the Okay, well then name it, Sam. Okay. Blue Velvet? All right. And the two names? Uh, Dennis Hopper? Ooh. Is he not? He's not top build. No, Kyle McLaughlin is top build. Ooh, I know who the other one is. But who's the other one? Who's the who second is, build? Uh, Isabella Rossellini. It is Kyle McLaughlin, then Isabella Rossellini, and then Dennis Hopper. Oh fuck you! Fuck you, Leonard Walton. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Sam. Well, I, I lost. Point. I lost. I didn't name them in Leonard Walton's order. I should have gotten that. I figured yeah, Dennis well. Hopper. Dennis Hopper truly is the bigger movie star, but I guess Kyle MacLachlan was really the main character. Anyway, yeah, and Dennis Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper had a supporting role. So, yeah, still, but guys like Robert De Niro in Brazil got like second billing, and he's in the movie for five seconds. So That's I thought true. it was. I thought it was going to be like one of those kind of deals. And we made it three podcasts before you referenced Brazil. So there we go. <laughs> I did. It wouldn't be long. <clears throat> Not soon enough. Long. All right. right. Uh, the next, next one, I guess. The next category is. A Paris, where the title has the, has the words In Paris in the title. Right. And this movie from 2000 got three stars by Leonard Malton. It's a funny follow-up that is sharper in every department to its predecessor. Um, the settings are colorful. The story is funny and sentimental. And it's followed by a movie. And it has... Lots of people. Let's see, that's nine. Thirteen people. Thirteen actors in it. And Chris, how many do you need to get this movie? Uh, I'm sorry, you cut out for a second with the year. What was the year? 2000. 2000? Yes. Um, let me go with one name. One name. It's on to Rachel. 
Tell Chris to name it or zero names. I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a party pooper and say name that movie, Chris. Okay, Chris. Your one name that you get is Dan Castel, Castellaneta. Homer Simpson. Um, Hello. Is it, is it um, Rugrats? It is Rugrats nice. in Paris, the movie. Does he get it? He said just Rugrats. I think that's bullshit if he gets it. I think I, I think he gets it. That was close enough. We knew I already, it ended it in Paris. I already I am, said that I it had in Paris in, in the title. Podcast un- under protest. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's on hunger strike the entire hour that we do this show now. I have to put right, down well, my box of cookies. <laughs> let's do one more movie just to give Sam a chance to redeem himself now. I forgot and Dan Castellaneta was on, this, on uh, Rugrats. Anyway. Dan Castellaneta is everywhere in animation, especially in the yeah. 90s. Indeed. So this next category is Dead Man Walken, where Christopher Walken dies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it Harris Gray? <laughs> uh, this movie from 1999 got two stars. It's convoluted and unsatisfying. And Sounds like Jordan's love life. Am I right, guys? <laughs> oh, we are having fun. <laughs> I knew that would get Rachel to laugh. All right. Martin Landau appears unbilled in this movie. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> 14 names. 14 names. Three. I, I need three for that one. Rachel, a terrible movie you where wanna... Christopher Walken dies. The Martin Landau's in it. I need three names. Oh, Ra- oh Rachel, shit. how many m- names do you want to guess? Mm, I don't. I, I need more than Sam. So I, I guess I'm gonna have no, to say name uh, that Sam. Movie. Jumped the gun there, so you get to name as get as many as you want. Wait, what? Sam jumped the gun. It's your turn, and then Sam's. So, out of 14, how many do you need? All right. <laughs> Sam, how she, many do you want? She gets six. All right, I'll do five names. Okay. Jordan? I'm going to do four names because I don't know what the hell this movie is right now. I have no idea. Chris? Uh, I'm going to do three names, I guess. I have to do three names. Whoa. Back to Rachel. All right, Chris, your three names are... Alun Armstrong. It might be Alan, but it's spelled A-L-U-N. Christopher Lee and Lisa Marie. Any ideas, Chris? I have no ideas. Um, You want to take a stab at it? 1999, two stars? The only Christopher Walken movie that I know for a fact was 1999 was Sleepy Hollow, so I'm just going to say Sleepy Hollow. And you'd be right. Hey! Yay! Maybe. All right. It was it was a not very great movie. <laughs> yeah. It wow. was pretty convoluted. <laughs> I think what we're gonna do is keep a running score for this. So just every week we'll add on to these numbers. So right oh, now Chris has track. three I points. I think I'm winning. I think I have fifty points and everyone else has zero. Yep. That's yeah. No, you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, from the amount of criticism I've got, I think I had like negative three thousand points, and I might have killed Sam's dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'll miss that dog, Jordan. It was perfectly hypoallergenic, too. Yeah, it was perfect. Only one of them existed in the world. And I killed it! Yeah, you skinned my dog. 
And I left all the dog organs lying around oh, your apartment. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so what are the Shit points, Alex? Real quick. All right, this was fun. I like this game. Yeah, definitely. What were the What are the points we're we're leaving off this week with Alex? What's that? What are the point totals? Does anyone have any points except Chris? Uh, yeah, you do. You got oh, one. Score. Chris has, has three, and Rachel and Sam are tied with zero. I have one. Yep. All right, Chris, I'm gunning I, for you. I think I deserve weeks. like half a point above of Rachel because I've actually like guest movies. Rachel always passes the buck. <laughs> in this game and in life. Oh, thanks, Rach. Five well, this is wonderful. Um, I think at this point we're going to move on and turn things over to you, Sam, and talk a little bit about Go On. Great. So, yeah, so Go On is the new uh, NBC comedy starring Matthew Perry about a man whose wife was mysteriously murdered. Uh, no, actually, she just, like, died somehow. Um, and he has to go to these, uh, I guess, sadness groups, which aren't necessarily for people who have lost loved ones. It's just for people who have had, like, bad stuff happen to them before. And it looks like he learns as much from them as they learned from him. Guys, what did you think of Go On starring a sports talk radio host who has Terrell Owens in it and I thought was generally mediocre? Not to poison the water or anything. But what did you guys think of Go On? Chris? Um, well, let me start off by saying that I was much more excited at the prospect of... Because there's a scene really early in the show where he goes in and he's in the wrong room. Like, he goes in for the group sessions and he ends up in this room with a bunch of people who are doing live-action fantasy role-playing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that show. Immediately, I was on board. And I was I wanted a show about Matthew Perry hanging out with a bunch of people who do <laughs> that would be live-action fantasy role-playing. I thought that would be a fantastic show. Um, I, I think I was a little bit more, um, I think I enjoyed it a little more than you did. I, I wasn't blown away by it. I didn't think it was that great, but I think I see a little bit of potential there. Um, I, I, I went in with extremely low expectations and ended up at the end of the day just kind of struggling to be like, eh, all right, um, I, I'll probably watch the next episode to be honest with you. All right, Alex. Come back to me at the end of the segment because I didn't watch it, so I could watch Insomnia. Okay. Uh, and that would be our segue. Okay. Jordan, um, what's I, you? I thought it was better than I expected. Uh, I went in thinking it was going to be the worst thing ever. Um, and I, you know, every time I talk about pilots, I always say, pilot never puts the show's best foot forward, blah, 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 blah. So I usually give a pilot more benefit of the doubt than I would give, you know, the end of a first season of a show, for example. So, um... With that in mind, I thought I will probably come back and watch the show again. Not because I thought the pilot was stellar, but... And also, I think we're going to have to talk about this at some point, so I might as well mention it now. I think the show owes a lot to community. I was going to say the exact same thing. But it owes a lot to community in a way that I think a lot of sitcoms are set up in that general way. And, uh, you know, the idea of the the 'er ne'er-do-well who doesn't care about people and is deeply cynical and sarcastic, learning to love a group of misfits, that's not exactly an original idea for a sitcom, even though Community is the most recent one to do it really well. Um, And, frankly, I think it's a good premise for a show, even if it is an overused one, because there's a lot of room for a lot of character growth, and uh, both in Matthew Perry's part and in the cast at Mm -hmm. large. Um, this, This cast is not... 
at first glance as immensely talented as the community one was. Though I don't know if at first glance the community cast felt as stellar. Although that had, I mean, community starting out had Allison Brie, uh, it had Chevy Chase, it had Joel McHale, so it had like a lot of known quantities in it. This has Matthew Perry uh, and John Cho, I guess. Um, John Cho, who wasn't really used yeah. at all. I think the pilot. show could go in very good directions or in very bad ones. And, okay. Um, I'll turn tune back in to see. All right, Rich. Rachel. I think Rachel may be experiencing some technical difficulties at the moment. Good, so I can talk. Great. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you know when I say go on was mediocre. I'm not. I, I mean just that it was mediocre. I thought there was that there were some good things. Um, I thought there were a few more bad things. And like Jordan was saying, I think, uh, you know, the first thing I thought about while I was watching this show was community. And when I was watching it, I was, it was like a little bit sad and it might have soured my view on the show a little bit. This is what I think NBC wanted community to be a little bit broader. Um, and, you know, assuming that go on doesn't go into, you know, genre episodes and episodes that, you know, break normal TV barriers in terms of, you know, storytelling. This is exactly, I think, what NBC wanted Community to be. And I think it's the type of programming that NBC kind of wants going forward. Um, it's the show that I'm afraid Community will become. I guess it's a little unfair to say just because there's been one episode of this. But, you know, I have, I have kind of fears about what this show will be and how there will be kind of an episode for each person in the in the group about, you know, kind of exploring like, oh, this is why, you know, the girl's dead cat is so important. Or this is why, you know, the weird guy with the beard and sweater who's a Zach Galifianakis stand-in, you know, this is why he's so weird and sad. And it's there's going to be an episode for each character, and then they're going to have to figure out where to go from there. Um, but well, the first I thing think I the real question is whether those characters become interesting, you know? They're well, all going to get their I mean, chance in the spotlight. Well, that's that's like, you know... That's asking, will you know, will the show be good? Because at the end of the day, it's going to have to do. It's going to have to come down to these characters' stories and whether they're going to be compelling or not. Um, and I, you know, what kind of what kind of growth we're going to see from Matthew Perry? From what I saw this episode, you know, he's kind of cantankerous. It's kind of a Matthew Perry character that we've kind of seen before. Maybe a little bit of Mister Sunshine. Yay! Uh, I, I just I don't see. You know, this is being particularly an ambitious show, and it might be a little bit better, but I don't see it becoming a show that I'm going to want to watch every week like I do Community. I, I, I just don't think that's there. I don't see it being a particularly sustainable show either. Um, it, it seems to me that after what you just said, Sam, when we get through that reveal of why every person is depressed right now, I, I mean, not that... Uh, if this were a drama, I could see this being a sustainable concept. But it's not. It's a comedy. We have to keep mining these people for comedy, which might be a little pro problem when everybody's kind of depressed by something that probably is a little bit deeper than we were presented on the pilot level. Um, and on top of that, you kind of had this um, struggle between uh, Matthew Perry's character and the um, the therapist in the first episode that you just kind of, like, undercut immediately by that reveal that she's not, like, actually, like, a real therapist or whatever. Like, I, there was, I think, a chance for, like, a sort of um, nurse ratchet dynamic in there, but that's gone now, I think. Huh. Well, um, I think, I think, 
I think it's interesting that they they didn't make her a therapist because it allows Matthew Perry to bang her without moral implications later in the show. See, right? yeah, that's my <laughs> thing. Is it seems like she's set up as the Brita character. If we're going with yeah. this as aping community, she's the one that's going to make Matthew Perry into a better person so that he can fall in love with her. Uh, which fortunately, community ditched fairly quickly and decided yes. that that wasn't very interesting. And Brita's much more interesting as a terrible character who everyone hates. And I agree with that. I mean, I don't think Brit is a terrible character, but I agree that she's much more interesting in her new incarnation than she was originally. Um, this show doesn't want to do anything like that, I'm sure. And like Sam said, I think not making her a therapist... Actually, I think that's still a strange choice because usually you want to throw some imposition into the will-they-won't-they they to keep them from immediately getting together. Oh, well, the will-they-won't-they they is that she kind of hates him. That's know? true. But she won't hate him in, like, 15 episodes. Well, yeah, you're that's... right, and we'll be wondering yeah. why they're not banging. Or they probably will be banging, and they'll find that there's issues with their banging, but there aren't really issues. I mean, you could kind of telegraph where, you know, the show has to reveal, you know, the stories behind everyone. We know that yeah. everybody's going to get their own episode, and we're going to see, oh, the blind guy, why is he so sad that he's blind? Or the guy whose wife cheated on him while he was at war? Or uh, the guy from Everybody Hates Chris, you know? How he, he doesn't open up about his brother. It's like, oh my god, he opened up to you about his brother? He never talks, you know, it's shit like that. And we're going to get we're gonna get episodes for all of them. And like Chris said, where is the show going to go from there? We all know that the show is going to have to hit these parts. And we know that about the will they, won't they? That's going to inevitably happen between the, the group yeah. leader and uh, Matthew Perry. I think the progression of the show is very clearly telegraphed. Uh, and that's not a good thing for a brand new show. But also, being predictable is not a death knell for a sitcom, as long as it's funny. I know. Well, we could see that in uh, How I Met Your Mother. Everyone was just waiting for that mother, and the mother will never come. Yeah, ever. turns out Ted is actually insane, and he doesn't have any kids, and there is no mother. Yeah. Then the show is going to be him with a needle in his arm in an alley. <laughs> and he's Don't like, do a couple and that kids is How I Met Your dumpster. Mother. Sweet heroin. <laughs> And then he dies. And then Sam dies. And then, yeah, it's just a very sad day for Jordan. <laughs> if, if both Ted and Sam died in the same day, that'd be very, very depressing. Although, yeah. really, the episode would have been filmed before, so it wouldn't be the same day. Right. Well, actually, in, like, the die GCC, you know, like, Ted would die the day it aired, right? So. The, the episodes don't always take place exactly the day it aired, but pretty That's much, true. I guess, That's yeah. True. Oh, I guess uh, I guess the day Ted dies would be the day in the future that he's talking to his uh, drug-induced kids. I thought he was on the drugs. Or he's on the drugs. The the kids are a hallucination from the drugs, rather. Right, yeah, of course. It would be a great show, too, if the kids were drug-induced and he was <laughs> shooting them up with heroin. <laughs> <laughs> he's re- it gets really fucked up, you guys. It's like, yeah, I like the only did, way that we get interested in how much mother again is if it gets... Seriously dark. <laughs> yeah, David Lynch directs, like, the last season of the show. It's really fucking dark. Anyway. And Barney is replaced by uh, the little man from another place. And Kyle McLaughlin comes back. Funny enough. Yeah. The captain. The captain's yeah. around. And Billy Ray Cyrus is in there somewhere. It's crazy. <laughs> all right. So we all kind of agree that, you know, no one was blown away by this pilot. And, uh, you know, like all pilots, you know, it could get better. You never know. 30 Rock had a terrible pilot. You know, shows have shows have bad pilots and they become great shows. So hopefully sure. this will be better and worth our time. And if not, there is so much other TV out there 
I will be fine. And I think we all will. Definitely. Um, We want to move things along here and turn things over to you, Alex, and talk a little bit about Insomnia. Absolutely. This is our first review-to-be-named movie club. And uh, we chose Insomnia by the director Christopher Nolan, who pretty much used this movie to establish that he's going to be an auteur. And I want to talk about the movie a bit, but I really want to tie it into his uh, the themes of his career, of his filmography, more than just talking about this one movie. Although, watching this again, it was an excellent movie, a much, much better than I remember it being for some reason. I saw it a long, long time ago, and watching it again last night for the podcast, it, it really struck me that there, were, there was just a lot of really great stuff in it especially for being basically his third movie, his first studio movie. Uh, the staging in it was really great. They used the being at daytime all the time for great use with shadows. Uh, there was a lot of great use of sound in it that you can see echoed in uh, the Scarecrow sequences in Batman Begins sometimes. And there were actually a lot of really, what I thought were really intense uh, scenes that just had a lot of tenseness, I don't know, tenseness to them, I'll say. Like, uh, when he falls under the logs, chasing, uh, by the way, spoilers, uh, when he was chasing Robin Williams, falling under the logs was really great, I thought. Um, If anyone has anything else to say about it, just chime in. I'm not going to toss this around or anything just well i'm curious what do, you, what do you mean when you what do you mean when you say that uh this movie is like made him an auteur why this he, one uh he hit the scene with memento right and then memento had everyone looking at him and so his this is basically his sophomore effort in the eyes of hollywood and being able to be in the hollywood system and take this movie who which is a remake of uh, I forget which country made it, but there was a Norwegian. Selen Starsgard was in the original, mm-hmm. and uh, I just felt like this movie really showed that he has his own way of writing, his own way of presenting information to you in movies that he really just carries forward. Uh, a quote from the. Let me think here. The CNN review by Paul Tatara says, Nolan is a craftsman who joins the ranks of Steven Soderbergh, David O. Russell, Curtis Hansen, and M. Night Shyamalan as an individual voice working within the Hollywood system. <laughs> yeah, M. Night. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all know how that went for him after 2002. But he just he shows a display of confidence in his filmmaking style that still has yet to be rivaled by a lot of filmmakers to this day. I uh, I don't know that I agree with the idea that Insomnia makes Christopher Nolan an auteur. Um, I think I think that if, if you're looking at him establishing his original voice and the style he was going to use throughout, I think Memento does a lot more of the footwork on that. Um, and while it, Insomnia was a Hollywood movie, it feels like a Hollywood movie in a way that I think none of the rest of Christopher Nolan's movies feel like a Hollywood movie. Uh, even, I mean, even his big like Batman Hollywood Begins movie. huge action epic feels more like a Christopher Nolan movie than Insomnia does. It was him taking a, a script that was already written, already kind of there, and putting his own spin on it. He, I don't know, he just took it and 
put in little things so that it, you can watch it again and get a better understanding of all the characters, which is a thing that Christopher Nolan's very well known for. And uh, it was a smaller, like, psychological thriller cop drama, but you could see how he kind of put his twist on it, where after this movie, you could say, okay, I can't wait to see what he does with a science fiction movie, but you're never going to expect something like Inception to come out of it. You, you'd expect, like, oh, he's going to do a normal science fiction movie with a little twist, but instead he goes full 180 degrees and just kind of turns everything on its head. Um, well, I, I kind of agree with Jordan in that, you know, when I think, you know, someone becoming an auteur or, you know, showing that they are one, you know, it's about what what their movie shows that there is their own unique voice. And I think nothing did that better than Memento. I think Memento is kind of like the Memento groundwork for the type of storytelling auteur, but it wasn't... that uh, no one would later do in Insomnia and in Batman and the Prestige. Um, I think, you know... Part of the part of the problem I have with you know having this movie be like the definition of him becoming like an auteur is that it's, it's a remake. Not the definition, I, I it's think, the start. I think that like you know the show, uh, the movie itself, you know, while he's you know picked it to remake, and there was obviously aspects of the thing that he really identified with, and he does you know I haven't seen I haven't seen the original, so I can't tell you how different it is. Um, but you know, it, it looked like a Christopher Nolan movie. It felt like a Christopher Nolan movie. But I think these ideas of what a Christopher Nolan movie is had already been defined by Memento and even by the following, uh, the first movie he made. You know, a little bit more. Um, let me let me ask this because uh, I agree with you, Sam, and I think uh, you've actually taken the discussion in an interesting direction. Um, if you look at the Coen Brothers True Grit, which is also a remake, to me that that screams Coen Brothers in a way that Insomnia doesn't scream Nolan. Um, even though they are also remaking a movie. And I don't know if anyone else agrees or disagrees with that assessment. Well, I, th- I think, you know, because just because it's a remake doesn't mean it can't be Nolan's. You know, like right, Alex of course. said, he, he, puts, he puts his twist on it, and it is, it is without a doubt, you know, a Chris Nolan movie. It looks like one, you know, it has all these, you know, great, great things that we like about Chris Nolan. What I'm just arguing is I don't think it established him as an auteur. Uh, not not like Memento. As I would say, you know, even if True Grit was the second movie that the Coen brothers made, I would say, you know, it wasn't the movie that established them as auteurs. I think you would argue for something like, you know, The Hudsucker Proxy or, you know, Miller's Crossing. Or, if, anything, you know, those, would, or if anything, or I would think, say maybe. that Prestige established Christopher Nolan as an auteur. The insomnia showed that he's not just a one-trick pony. It started getting people thinking about him as a singular voice in the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. He's one of the very, very few directors who can make not only a very well-received critical film, but very well box office success. Well, he did that with Batman Begins before the Prestige, Batman right? Be- Batman Begins, Inception, Prestige, Dark Knight. I mean, they're all fantastic successes, both critically and commercially. But Batman Begins did that before the Prestige. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, I would actually. If I mean, if we're looking at, it, it's hard to establish someone as an auteur given it like, oh, it was this movie that established right. them as an auteur because it's such a, a holistic experience where you look at all their movies, right? Um, but if I was to say Christopher Nolan, this is the time I start to think Christopher Nolan is an auteur or you know like a master of cinema because I do. I think he's one of the most interesting directors working right now. 
Um, and if I were to if I were to say that, when I started thinking that, I think it might have been the Prestige, um, just because I loved Memento. Uh, I I thought Insomnia was fine, whatever. It didn't Insomnia didn't even, didn't make me think anything more or less about Christopher Nolan. I don't even think I thought about Christopher Nolan at all when I saw that movie. Uh, Batman Begins really made me go like, okay, Christopher Nolan is uh, is a force to be reckoned with. This is a great movie, but it was also a great Batman movie, and I might have focused on it more for that. And when the Prestige came around, I was like, all right, I will see every movie this guy does. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that we don't we don't confuse auteur with good, right? Or of talented. Course. I mean, Michael Bay is an auteur. It's it's Absolutely. like about it's about having like a singular voice and being you know literally like the author of your work, having, you know, your stamp on a movie. So to say that it was Insomnia that did this or it was the prestige that did this, you know, you can make an equally compelling argument to say, you know, Chris Nolan, the first movie he directed following, that's, you know, he established himself as an auteur there. I mean, well, I think... Right, I think, I think putting a timestamp on it is hard. So it's not, it's not like, it's not about proving yourself to be good. It's about... It's about having a, a unique voice and style and storytelling style that separates and you from everyone else. If I could jump um, in here for a second. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. No, no, no you, I'm just you saying, the he, it, it's not, he's not, he's not like Chris Columbus, you know, who's, who's kind of just like a guy who can direct people and put them in places and block and shoot, you know? Um, and I think that's, that is from the beginning, Chris Nolan has proven. I mean, I know a bunch of people haven't seen Following. Um, it's on Netflix. Following is great, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, and I think that movie itself it established him like this guy's a unique voice. He he tells you know interesting stories that are a little bit twisty and they're kind of pu- they're puzzles put together and they're kind of cerebral and they're great. And I think you know th- that's what makes an auteur. It's about having this unique voice. It's ha- being having a stamp that's your own. And I think that's why we can call uh, Chris Nolan that. And I think Insomnia definitely fits in there. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think the whole idea of trying to timestamp it, like you said, and as I was trying to do anyway, is wrongheaded. Um, and I thank you, by the way, for the flashbacks to my marathon of Michael Bay movies back when I was writing my auteur column, whose film was it anyway, uh, where I had to watch every Michael Bay movie. And those are days I'll never get back. So what's uh, Nice plugging. Um, let, let me just jump in there real quick, just to sure. follow up somewhere there. I, where I think Insomnia falls into this whole conversation about Chris Nolan being an auteur and its importance in his overall filmography is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only film that he didn't have a, um, a, uh, writing credit is what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, writing credit. Like, a, see, he didn't have shaping a writing the credit, story or writing. But he the film. he did go through several drafts with the writer. I think his name's Her, or her, her name. Has, oh shit! Who was the writer? Regardless, uh, writer was. He did go. He did, did go through and uh, write many Hillary, drafts. Hillary sites. Hillary sites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She. He did go through and write many drafts with her. And uh, did do a final draft of the script. He just wasn't credited with it. Okay, so he was involved. All right, very much so. My, he my he wanted to do this movie before then. he made Memento. Okay. And um, I'll just point out while we're talking about auteurs and and scripting that a lot of great auteurs didn't write any of their scripts. I mean, Scorsese barely writes any of his movies. Uh, I think he's no co-written uh, well, one or two. Yeah, we know it's not about it's not about you know who yeah. wrote it. It's, I was just talking about like a breaking from the usual 
process through which Nolan develops his films. It's yeah, he is he is a writer director. I mean, that's that's his that's his bag. So the point I was just getting at here is like this is it's interesting. It I think is to Nolan's credit that in a film that he did not have as much, even though more so than I thought, as much of a hand in shaping the story as he might normally do. This being a remake. Well, it's it's unusual for him because not only was he not alone in writing it. Or, I mean, I guess he wasn't alone in writing the Batman movies either. Yeah. But um, he, it, it was a remake, which I think it's the only remake he's done. Um, yeah, if you don't so count it, Batman. So it's definitely, it feels like an outlier in his filmography, I think. That's very true. It's his most straightforward film, that's for sure. It's the most uh, traditional. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, by far. But I think that that's what makes it really interesting to me because you could see him, like, there's probably a terrible dark universe Christopher Nolan that's making these films that are much more traditional but still a little bit Nolan-y. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think there's an argument, Alex, that this is, if you're looking at Christopher Nolan as auteur, maybe his most interesting film because it's it's a different script, it's a remake, He's it's Hollywood system as much as any of his movies ever have been. This is the most constrained you've ever seen Christopher Nolan. So to be able to pick out his voice in this movie makes perhaps the strongest argument that he is an auteur when you're looking at the whole of his career. I agree with that. Um, so I guess, yeah, final thoughts on the movie, everybody? And Rachel, are you back now? Do we, do we have you? Oh my Yay. god. Hooray. Yeah. All right, so you want to go around? And say one word. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, Sam, you're starting out now since you made that stupid joke. Okay, fine. Uh, this, honestly, it's probably my least favorite Chris Nolan movie. And I think that just kind of speaks to how good his movies have been. He's made so many great movies. Chris? Uh, I, I liked it a lot. I, this is actually the first time I've seen it, and I was very impressed by it. Uh, I think I can't really say anything that hasn't already been said earlier in the podcast. Uh, oh, except for the fact that I watched it. Um, I woke up early to watch it this morning, especially. Um, wow. So I was kind of a little sleep-deprived watching it, and that was that was an interesting sensation. I kind of recommend that, maybe, <laughs> I, the next time you take how a look at it. Yeah. You know, one thing, I actually started... Al Pacino's so good in this movie. I actually started to feel sleepy just watching it. He yeah. portrays insomnia <laughs> Me too, so well. Oh, yeah. No, Al Pacino had an amazing performance in this movie. Fantastic. Jordan. I I think the movie is is good. Um, I'm, I'm going to go. It's above mediocre. I'm not going to. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's an interesting movie because I like Christopher Nolan so much and I'm so interested in his movies. Um, but... As, in terms of the quality of the movie, I think it's fairly standard Hollywood fare, slightly better. Uh, and I'm glad we watched it for the purpose of discussing Christopher Nolan, though, so I'd say, on the whole, positive feelings about it. I think it is an important movie to see if you're a fan of Christopher Nolan, just to get a more holistic view of all of his movies and how he's evolved as a filmmaker. I think it's important Rachel. to see all of his movies. They're all great. Absolutely. Rachel, anything? I didn't watch it. Fantastic. Uh, well, thanks, Rach. Well, I thanks. guess you're going to have technical difficulties. The, that segment is the perfect time then because you didn't even exactly. see the movie. Exactly. Exactly. And you continue to be the worst. 
Yep. <laughs> you are the worst, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> we have dubbed it so. Um, all right, are we are we wrapped up there, Alex? Uh, unless anyone else has anything else to say about it, I will continue to discuss this movie as long as you people want to. Um, we only have so much time. Yeah. Yeah. They were so right. we will be we will be returning with the Review Name Movie Club in weeks to come. I think we're going to discuss and pick a new movie. Uh, we Chris have is actually all over there. that. Chris. Okay, I actually do have a pick. Uh, assuming oh, cool. not too many people have seen this already. If so, I can find is it a new on, pick between... Is it on Watch Instantly? It is on Watch Instantly. I believe it awesome. is still there. It was as of two days ago. Uh, the film is Bronson. Oh, I've seen Bronson. It's awesome. Okay. It's... I will gladly revisit <laughs> Bronson. I have not seen Bronson, so this will be a first time out for me. I have awesome. not seen it either. Rachel, have you seen it? Nope. Okay. And I probably won't see it next week either. Will you well, see don't it if come. I tell you it has Tom Hardy's dick in it? <laughs> oh, well then totally. <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. Easy sell. All right, so let's, uh, let's put uh, Bronson on the docket for our next movie club. And for those of you listening along with us, we invite you to watch the movie also. Send any comments you might have or things you would like to um, put on the docket as discussion topics. And we would be more than happy to include those in the show. Absolutely. And we will be... Uh, either next week or the week after, we'll talk about it. We'll figure out how long we want to give all of us and all of you out there to watch the movie. But in the next couple weeks, the Ruby Name Movie Club will be back with Bronson. Uh, now we're going to turn to our next segment, and this is uh, a first. We're calling the segment Challenge Accepted. It's a, a bit of a high much mother joke there. The idea is that one of us on the podcast, or perhaps eventually if any of you want to, one of you will send uh, in or challenge another staffer to a dare that that person then has to do. Something in pop culture they wouldn't normally do. Something in pop culture probably none of us would normally do that we're going to throw out there and uh, see how it goes. So for this first dare, uh, I dared Rachel to read the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Uh, Rachel, oh, how, did that, how did that go thing? for you? That's so mean. The whole thing. Oh my god. How many pages yeah. are all three of them? I didn't even look at this oh, before I made you do too, it. Too fucking many. That's for damn sure. Um... I don't even know because I refuse to buy a copy because God forbid I'm seen with that anywhere. Um, so I illegally downloaded e-versions, which you can tell I never read anything on a fucking screen ever. Um, so you can tell how dedicated I was to that challenge by getting myself a bootlegged Kindle version. Um, now that we, you've confessed to a crime on the podcast, we may have legal <laughs> problems, but okay. Hand in your badge. Um, <laughs> your gun and your badge, Rach. Let me ask you this then: If you can't tell me how many pages they were, what is the sex scene to non-sex scene ratio of the trilogy? Oh wow! Well, you know, as the series progresses, the sex scenes get fewer and fewer. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing at this point in my life. <laughs> but um, there's there's a good middle section of this of the. Of the series where there's probably a sex scene at least once in like every five to ten pages. Wow. And you'd think, considering how often this author is talking about orgasms, that she'd have a different way to discuss them, but it's always the same phrasing. Always this thing about them breaking apart together, which is weird. That's really gross. (laughs) It's pretty much not okay ever. Um... So, I don't know if, if y'all know this, but Fifty Shades of Grey started as Twilight fan fiction. I did. That's I actually the this. only thing I know yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 That and that. So, 
and I can I can promise you that everything that you would expect based on that fact is true <laughs> of these books. They are written just as poorly as the Twilight books, which I will admit I have also read all of. Um, and that was not even on a dare. <laughs> what was that? Oh, no. And that wasn't even a dare. You're right. <laughs> uh, listen, I was, homel- I was homeless that summer. I needed something to keep me going. Um, <laughs> Let's clarify that you weren't, like, living on the streets homeless. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a modern nomad. It's okay. But anyway, so basically the, like, story is ridiculous, but it all boils down to if you marry the dark, rich, damaged guy, you can fix him. Yeah. Which is terrifying. So terrifying. More or less terrifying than the Mormon subtext of Twilight? Oh, probably more terrifying because, like, whatever, I'm not going to become a Mormon, but I am terribly, like, damaged and and unbalanced, so, like... Yeah, but no one thinks they're going to fix you. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, Jordan. I'm also not rich, but... You know what? I actually find this one way more disturbing. There are a lot of really serious, even more so than Twilight, some really serious anti-feminist subtext in this story that's kind of insane. Um, yeah, I just can't believe that I read the whole thing. It took me months. I, I it, it took me a long time to get through it. It was really yeah. This upsetting. this dare actually came about when we were first brainstorming returning the podcast. Uh, this was one of the first segments we came up with, and so Rachel's had a little while to do this. Uh, usually we're going to give uh, a little bit of lead time in the dare, so this will come up every couple weeks, but Rachel had more lead time because it was a book and because we were brainstorming the podcast. So I, have, I have a question ahead, about this Sam. whole thing, though. Uh, the, the, okay. It sounds like we're allowed to dare people things like that we haven't done. Or Absolutely. It's like, or, and it's something that's like, is it supposed to be torture? <laughs> is, that, is that the... Uh, is it's it supposed, supposed to, to expand your horizons. Um, the idea, is, and you'll you'll get to dare whoever racial dares will get to dare someone next, and it'll go around like that. Unless we get some uh, some amazing reader dares in, and then we'll uh, our listener rather dares in, I, and then I feel we'll like throw those out. Jordan and I, we've done like a version of this, but we weren't like daring each other. It was like we agreed we were we were going to swap shows. I was I was going to watch all of Buffy, and he was going to watch Doctor Who. And I think it's it's worked out well for both of us. I think. I think. I'm pro- I think we I'm should actually talk about that when we finish when we catch up with yeah, Doctor Who and Buffy. Let's do a segment on on how that went in all. So. I think I think there's a much more sadistic quality to this. Like I I want to I want to see you guys suffer. When yeah, this is <laughs> fucked up. This is well, more then, fucked up. Well, but... then how appropriate that we started with Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I have I have two more Fifty Shades of Grey questions, Rachel. Number one, how are the sex scenes in terms of did you find them awkward or erotic? Terribly awkward. Terribly awkward. First of all, the pillow talk is ter- like terrible. Like if if some of if somebody were to ever say to me some of the shit that this guy says to this woman, like I would punch them in the face and walk the fuck out, not continue to have sex with them. That sounds very erotic. But <laughs> <laughs> Sam finds face punching erotic though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then maybe you should read this book, Sam. Um, I will. Well, you probably I will, and I have. <laughs> they're they're no they're really just like painfully awkward like when adding it also doesn't help that like the the girl who is the main character is like for the first book still in college so it's like very strange and she's this there's this eccentric billionaire who like seems to have money for no reason like you never really find out what he does 
Like, mm-hmm. so it's very strange. Uh, He's like Barney. Terribly awkward. The okay. second question, how many of the things you read about in this book are you going to try now? Oh, <laughs> not a one. They're <laughs> terrifying. I had this interesting conversation with um, a friend who um, is homosexual, and he was talking about how he was just like, I really don't like these books. And I was like, why? And he was just like, well, straight people are just figuring out, like, what sex can be. And I was like, dude, like, this is not your life. Like, this is insane. Like, I kind of don't want to talk to you if this is what you do on a regular basis. But <laughs> Hey, no judgments. <laughs> let, let, let me ask something here, because this is like, the, the book is making headlines for being included in, like, Ugh. middle-aged women's book groups now. Is there anything, like, that you found... Does that the story you just gave us? Does that mean you found some things in there that were shocking to you, or was it kind of you don't see? Do you do you see what the fuss is about, or do you not? I okay. I see why like middle aged suburban women are reading this book because you know it's pretty inflammatory and like very shocking. But like I don't understand how they're going to make a movie out of it, considering like how much of it is dedicated to hardcore sex. Lars von Trier's Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way. I can see it, like, happening. And then, like, I mean, I don't I don't see how it's going to be, like, sanitized and wrapped up in a nice little movie bow and, like, made into a film at all. Um, I mean, whatever, you know? Everybody gets their jollies a certain way, and if this is doing it for some mothers, then fine. But it's terrifying. <laughs> a glowing review. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything else, Rachel, you want to say or anything else anyone wants to ask before we have Rachel present her pop culture dare for the next installment of Challenge Accepted? I'm, I'm good. I've got nothing. Don't right. read these books, guys. All right. Except for you, Sam. You'll like them. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'll pick them up. Okay. Well, Rachel, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce who the next dare is going to and what it will be. My dare is a little less sadistic, but it is for you, Sam. All right. Um, I dare you to spend at least a week or the amount of time between now and when this segment runs again listening to and enjoying and reveling in the new boy band Resurgence. So um, I'm going to need you to listen to One Direction's Up All Night and The Wanted's Battleground albums. Uh, right. And make a determination as to which of these bands deserves the top spot in the current boy band. All right, could you, could you tell me that? I know, I've heard of One Direction. What is their album that I need to listen to? Their album is Up All Night. Okay. And then there's The Wanted. The Wanted? The Wanted, okay. yes, The Wanted. And the album for them is Battleground. All right. That is the worst band name and album name I think I, I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. So You can interchange their name and their album name. Yeah, they could be <laughs> Battlegrounds The Wanted. I don't know. Um, I, I really look forward to seeing what Sam thinks about that, though. I'm sure it'll be equally erotic as Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey. Unfortunately, unlike Rachel, Sam will try everything on these two albums. Oh, everything. Uh, okay. I accept your challenge, or challenge accepted, rather. Challenge accepted. Uh, we will we will see how that's gone either next week or in the weeks to come. Now we are reaching the end of the show. It's time for us to have finished tabulating. Yeah, let me check. Yeah, our uh, our immensely complicated robot involving uh, vote tabulation machine is complete. <laughs> bleep, bleep, we can bleep, now bleep. we can now announce who has won the week. But first, 
we want to announce the name of the trophy so I can stop saying who won the week every week and actually say who won this amazing new trophy. Uh, from now until the end of time, the winner of the week will be presented with the Racial Tardif Memorial Award for Best Performance <laughs> in the Week. <laughs> so, the winner of the Racial Tardif Memorial Award for Best Performance in a Week for this week is Joss Whedon, who Hooray. is writing and directing Avengers 2 and developing that Marvel TV show. We talked about this earlier in the show, but does anyone want to say anything now that we have announced him as the winner? I'd say it's equally a great week for Avengers fans. I hope it's good. Like everybody else. Rachel or Alex? I'm excited. If he can make Avengers 2 even anywhere close to as great as Avengers 1, then I am super stoked. I think uh, from a, a bunch of Whedon fans here, it's not surprising that he won the week, and I think we're all really excited uh, to see where all of these projects go. So before we wrap up the show, I'm going to do as always uh, and plug all of our various outlets. You can come to our website at reviewtobenamed.com. You can follow us on Twitter at reviewtobenamed. You can email us at reviewtobenamed at gmail.com. Go ahead and come to the site, check things out. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter, email us. Send us ideas for segments in future weeks. Send us things that you think should win the week. Uh, send us questions that you want us to talk to answer on the podcast. Uh, sound off on ideas for future segments uh, in terms of the movie club, in terms of pop culture dare. Just go ahead and get as involved as you'd like at readbenamed.com, at readbenamed on Twitter, or readbenamed at gmail.com. So those are all of our outlets. Come get involved. And with that, I think we'll wrap up the show. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Uh, yeah.